ask you to think about doors for a moment. I know, that's kind of odd. Think about doors. And as you think about it, let me kind of guide and facilitate some of your thoughts. We use door in our language like one door opens and another door closes. That's metaphorically, a metaphorical use of it. Or a door of opportunity, or that door was slammed shut in my face when an opportunity ends badly. You may have had an, uh, an, you may have an open door policy at work, meaning that your team has access to you at all times, anytime. When an office door is closed, it is often a request for privacy. Maybe you're on the phone, maybe you're in a meeting, you want to remain undisturbed. You see, doors are hugely important, and we don't really think about it, and I want you to think about it, because we're really going to be looking at the door that Jesus references this entire message. Doors are important, and they factor largely in our lives. Now, as you're still thinking about that, this entire sermon, five points, all about doors, symbolically, let me remind you, we are in a sermon series called the I Am series. Seven times Jesus refers to himself, I am, and then he describes a way that, he, that you can understand him. So I am the bread, that was week number two, because we launched it in uh, talking about before Abraham was, I am. So week number two, Pastor Tim and Summer, and I am the bread. Last week, I am the light of the world. This week, I am the door of the sheep. Right? So we're going to be looking at doors, but I mean, uh, we're going to be looking at the I am's, but why? What does that mean? Why is Jesus doing this? Well, what he does every time that he says I am and then attaches something to it, he's giving you, he's giving me a, a different facet of who he is, a different facet of his character. Now listen, and a different way that he is functioning to bring redemption into the world. Now you've got to get this. If you miss those two points, this series is really not going to make sense to you. Every time he uses I am, it's to give another facet of his character, who he is. He's revealing himself to us so that we can know him. And then he gives another way, that description gives another way that he is at work in the world to bring about redemption. It's the I am series. And as we come to John chapter 10, which is where you want to be, John chapter 10, if you didn't bring your Bibles, believe me, you are going to need your Bible before you today. So John chapter 10, go to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book into the New Testament, chapter 10. And we're going to find in chapter 10, right at the very beginning, right towards the beginning, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. And a lot of symbolic meanings are going to come to mind. I'm going to give you five of them. But we need to know a little bit more of the timing. So while you're getting to John chapter 10, if you're there, look at me because it's really important that you know the context of the Bible. We are a, an expository preaching church, meaning we want to let the, the text breathe. We want to work through passages or the entire verse, but you always want to get to the context. So what's happening in John chapter 10? Well, this is very interesting. If you were here last week, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world, then you'll probably remember because I gave you some background on the festival of the tabernacles. Do you remember the ceremonial, the ceremony of the lighting of the candles where they had four 73-foot-high candles in the 
court of women next to the treasury where Jesus was standing. This is either the last day of the festival or the day after. And they light these candles. It's, they're filled with pure olive oil. At the top of each one of those four candles are four bowls. So there's 16 of them in each, or all together rather. And, and the, wick, the wicks that they use to light these candles made out of the old discarded linen robes of the priests. And they would light these at the, la- at the evening or at the nighttime of each day of the festival, but on the final day, the eighth day, the great day, what it's called in John chapter 7, on the great day, they only lit three. They left one unlit. That one unlit was the Messiah candle. That was the candle of which the people in Jerusalem would pray and celebrate and ask and plead, God, bring to us our Messiah. Jesus is standing in that court, possibly pointing to that unlit candle going, I am the light of the world. I am the Messiah. I have come. Open your eyes. I'm ready to save. This is the power of these I am statements. Now, right after this, now we're in chapter nine. What I just told you is chapter eight of John. Chapter nine, all of a sudden, Jesus demonstrates that he is the light of the world by opening the darkened blind eyes of a man who was born blind, opens them up so that the man can see. You know what's so amazing? The man himself, if you're there, look at John 9, verse 32. The man himself gives testimony. He says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Nobody had ever seen or heard of that happening before. This is the man who's, who was formerly blind saying this. And it infuriated, it incensed the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They're the leaders of the Jewish people. And they promptly threw the man out of the synagogue. I mean, if you follow John chapter 9, you're going to read this. They were so mad at him, they threw him out of the synagogue. That's, that is a threat that they held over the Jewish people. You know what that meant? Or at least you know what they meant by that? It meant that you were now cut off from God and cut off from the Jewish people of Israel. They lived in fear. This is why the blind man's parents said, listen, go talk to the blind man, our son. He's of age. They didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. They knew what was likely to happen if they keep defending that Jesus healed him because these people hated Jesus. So they went to the son. The son says, hey, it was Jesus that did it. Nobody's ever done that before in humanity or in, yeah, in humanity, in the world history. And they threw him out of the synagogue. See, the religious leaders showed nothing but disdain and hatred for the healed man and violent hatred for Jesus. They wanted to kill him. That's what they tried to do at the end of chapter 8. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you all of that to frame the context. You ready? Now look at me. I'm going to sum it up very simply. There is a massive debate going on between the Pharisees and Jesus. They hate him. They hate him. And he is continuing to show them by signs of healing and by words of testimony that he is the Messiah. And they are getting angrier and angrier. So chapter 10 takes place right after this blind man is expelled from the synagogue. Chapter 10 takes place 
as Jesus begins to draw on an allegory to describe what he is about to do for Israel. And he's going to draw on the very familiar picture of shepherding, and particularly the door of the sheepfold. So let me give you five symbolic meanings of door or gate, if you've got the NIV. Door or gate. Let me give you five symbolic meanings of this. And here's the first one. And we're going to get going, and this is going to crank up quickly. Here we go. Number one, the door was a symbol of protection. The door was a symbol of protection. So chapter 10 opens up. Jesus is in the glorious city of Jerusalem. And I want you to see on the map behind me what it looked like by way of geography in the land of Israel in the time of Jesus. This is under Roman control. You've got up north where Jesus was born. That's Galilee. You know Nazareth. Got all sorts of towns up there. Sea of Galilee, the lake, freshwater lake. And it's all up in the northern part of Israel called Galilee. And then right below that was Samaria. Samaria was the land of the half-Jew. You see, in the Old Testament, the, the army of Assyria conquered the northern tribes of Israel, right where you see it on that map, even up into Galilee. They conquered them. And this is brilliant, by the way. This was a strategy that many nations employed. Assyria brought a lot of people from around their conquered lands into that land, and they took a lot of the Jewish people out of that land so that it would entice them to intermarry and dilute the bloodline and weaken their devotion to their culture and to their God, and it worked. It so diluted them, they created the Samaritans when they had children, half Jew, half Gentile. The Jewish people hated them. They hated the Jewish people. And they're sandwiched, right between Galilee and Judea. Judea is where Jerusalem is. Judea is the southernmost part of the land of Israel. In fact, Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would go all the way around across the Jordan River, walking on non-Jewish land until they got down in Judea, and then they would cross back over. They just wanted to avoid even the soil of the Samaritans. Now, I'm telling you all of that to get to this. We're in Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. That's where Jesus is speaking in chapter 10, southernmost part. The main part of Judea was a central plateau, 35 miles long, 14 to 17 miles wide. Really not that big. About maybe a little bit bigger than the Lehigh Valley. And the ground was mostly rocky, mostly rough, more suited for pasture than agriculture. So shepherding was the common industry. So he's going to break out in shepherding language in this allegory. And listen, listen, I'm telling you all of that to help you realize everybody would know what he's meaning. Everybody would get the shepherding language. But we don't. How many of you right now are shepherding sheep literal sheep one all right i don't think that person's really telling me the truth i know her how many of you have uh, raised sheep okay that one i believe how many of you have trimmed the hair and the wool off of sheep okay how many of you smell like a sheep okay come on i see some hands now all right We'll skip that one. 
Shepherding was common in the area. But we don't really understand what it's like. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill out some background as we work through this. It's a difficult vocation. There are dangers that are lurking everywhere. Prone to wander sheep find trouble. By the way, Christian brother and sister, we are compared over and over in the Bible to wandering sheep. We get ourselves in trouble often. They fall into a stream. You know what it's like for a sheep with a full body of hair to fall into water? Well, it is instantly a massive sponge, and they will sink to the bottom. They cannot swim. So they would fall into streams, their heavy wool pulling them under. They would fall into a crevice. They would be ravaged by hyenas and lions and bears, all of them indigenous to this area of Jerusalem, this area of Judea. So a shepherd's life is a life of constant vigilance, constant care, over and over, constant rescue. Now, John chapter 10, 1, let's get into it. Truly, truly, I say to you, now your Bible might be read, that's because Jesus is speaking. If it's not read, Jesus is speaking. I want you to know this. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So Jesus is drawing on this picture of a sheepfold. Now this, again, is not very common to most of us, so I've got to explain it a little bit. It's meant to refer to the people of Israel. So when you, when you hear or read sheepfold, if I were you, I'd underline this and put this in the margin of your Bible. When you read or hear sheepfold in John chapter 10, what you are hearing and reading is a reference to the people of Israel. I'm going to bring this out a little bit more in a while. It's not to the people of the world. It's not to the Gentiles. This is to Jewish people. This is the context. It's very important you understand that. We're going to, we're going to draw that out. Sheepfolds, well, they either had them in the country or they had them in the villages. If you had a sheepfold in the country, here's how you would make it. Shepherds would try and use a cave, very lime, a very limestone popular region lots and lots of caves so they would try to find a cave and that was where they would bring the sheep at night to protect them one entrance in one entrance out if a cave was not available they would pile stones into a low wall or they would take brush and they would put a put them into walls around them very small because usually they had only a few sheep and they would bring them into the sheepfold for the night now that's a country sheepfold now you ready it's going to get interesting because he's going to refer to both of these sheepfolds in this allegory. If it's a village sheepfold, there is a pen that was made of stones or blocks, and they function as communal shepherds, or sheepfolds rather, for several shepherds' sheep of that village. Let me explain that again. Lots of shepherds would use the village sheepfold. It was communal. Now listen, you don't know that from reading the story of John chapter 10. You've got to know that from getting to the background. So in a village sheepfold, lots of shepherds would bring their sheep for the night. And if they were doing that, then there was only one way in to the sheepfold and one way out. You know what they would do? They would take thorny branches. They would put them all over the top, kind of like our rolled barbed wire. They'd put them all over the top of the walls because it was common for criminals to jump over the low walls. You see, sheep can't jump. Not very high. 
You didn't need a high wall. This is why the shepherds are running when they heard the angels announce the birth. They're running and they're leaping over walls. They're leaping over these sheepfolds. They're leaping over these ditches to get to the manger to meet Jesus, the son. So they're low walls. And it was very common for criminals to climb over the walls at night, slit the throats of a few sheep, throw the sheep over to their partners in crime and take off with them. This was happening all the time and jesus is about to reference it he applies it to the pharisees truly truly i say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way that man is a thief and a robber now this is where it gets more interesting the greek word for thief klepto now think of that kleptomania Kleptomania, not too uncommon, actually, unfortunately. It's a person who steals in secret. Except the Greek word for robber, the very next word, describes a person who steals using open violence. So we've got thieves who steal in secret, and we've got robbers who use violence to do it. There are two different kinds of people all doing the same thing in different styles and different methods. They were a plague within Israel. And particularly to the sheep sheep herding industry. But when Jesus uses them symbolically, he's referring to the religious leaders. He's referring to false teachers. He already mentioned them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The, The entire New Testament, over and over. Acts chapter 20. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now listen, this is why we preach the Bible. If you want to know what counterfeit money is, you don't study the fake money. You study, experts say, real money. And if you study real money enough and you know what it looks like, you know what it feels like, you know in most cases what it's going to smell like, then when a counterfeit bill comes, you know it. That's how they, that's how they train those who detect it. By the way, I know that's true because I, I talked to a bank teller one time and asked her how they did it. It was the same way. You could feel it. It feels differently. Well, it's the same thing. We preach the Bible so that you know so much what the gospel really is, how to really, really interpret the Bible, that when you hear people come along and the churches are full of them, that are going to twist them, they're going to use it for their own means, you're going to be alert to it. You're going to know it. You've got to know the word of God. Listen, if you're visiting our church and this is not your home, you're just passing through, wherever you go, get in a church that preaches nothing but the Bible there's no other transformational method know the Bible preach the Bible but there's always been there always will be false teachers among God's people men and women who twist the scriptures to their own gain and they have tactics and Jesus reveals them and they are terrifying look what he says in verse 10 of John 10 the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy Do you understand that's really the motive of a false teacher? This is why we need to be able to detect them. This is why we need to be able to courageously 
Expose them. If you know false teaching, you've got to warn people. And this is their motive, to steal, kill, and destroy. But look at the motive of Jesus in the same verse, verse 10. He came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the first one is this. The door was a symbol of protection. It was a symbol of protection. Now you're going to understand how it was in a little bit more as we keep going. The door was secondly a symbol of identification. A symbol of identification. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, I mentioned this to you, but I want to say it again, because in our mind, you're probably thinking flocks of 50, 70 to 100 sheep that are commonplace. That's not common. They usually, Israel shepherds, had just a few sheep. They didn't have many sheep. They weren't wealthy, and each village would have several shepherds. And when they used these communal sheepfolds, meaning they brought all of their flocks into one sheepfold, they would hire a porter or a gatekeeper. This was a paid person, paid to protect their sheep. And the gatekeeper would only let the owners of the sheep into the fold to get their sheep to take them out to pasture. Now this is where Jesus is going. The religious leaders in Israel, they weren't sent by God. They weren't allowed into his sheepfold. They had to resort to demanding their own authority. They had to rule by fear and manipulation, kicking people out of the synagogue. You see, Jesus is exactly referencing the very ones who kicked that blind man, formerly blind man, out of the synagogue. In fact, if you go to the end of chapter 10, I think it's verse 21 or verse 26, you, still, you see they're still talking about the blind man. He's addressing the religious rulers who are not the gatekeepers. They're not the right shepherds. He's exposing them. See, only the true shepherd was allowed into the sheepfold. Now listen to this. How? How did the gatekeeper know who the true shepherd was at the door? And that's where he's parked. He's parked at the door of the sheepfold. How did he know who the true shepherd was? There's a very interesting legal story that took place in Australia I want to tell you about. It was a legal case involving two shepherds. See, a man was arrested. Now listen to this. A man was arrested and charged with stealing a sheep, one sheep. But he claimed emphatically, this is a true story by the way, that it was one of his own that had been missing for many days. And so the case went to court. And the judge, he didn't know how to decide the matter. He was puzzled. So finally, he asked that the sheep be brought into the courtroom. And I want you to picture this going on. The sheep was brought into the courtroom. He ordered the plaintiff to step outside and call the animal. The sheep made no response, just raised its head, looked frightened. And then the judge instructed the defendant, the one who's claiming this is his sheep, to go out to the courtyard and call the, the sheep. And as soon as he began to call, using his own distinctive call, the sheep bounded toward the door. It was obvious at that moment who the true shepherd was. That's a true story. This is how sheep work. See, the door was a symbol of identification. And the true shepherd of Israel had come. Now, we're going to really build on that in the next one. Look at this. The door was a symbol of relationship. 
Now we're teaching expositionally. We're working through the passage. We're now at verse 4. I want to read verses 4 and 5, but as I do, I want you to think of relationship. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. How many of you have ever taken your children to Chuck E. Cheese? Come on, don't be embarrassed. How many of you as adults still go to Chuck E. Cheese on your own? Okay, we got a couple. That's all right. If you go to Chuck E. Cheese and you've got your children with you, we've done it a bunch, you're going to walk in there and they're going to stamp your hand. And they're going to stamp everybody in your family on the back of their hand with the same stamp with the same number that you cannot see. You cannot see it. It lights up under a UV lamp. And when you walk out of there, they stop you and they make sure that everybody that's walking out with your party has that same stamp. It's a way to identify who belongs to whom. It's a relationship tool. This, these are my children. These are my parents. Now, take that imagery back to the sheepfold. Remember, and I'm telling you this again so you can get this. Sheepfolds in the villages were communal. That just simply means three or four or more shepherds all brought their flocks to one holding pen, hired a gatekeeper to watch over them. And the way the gatekeeper would know whose sheep belonged to which shepherd was to have the shepherd stand at the door of the sheepfold and call his sheep. You know what would happen when a shepherd would call sheep that weren't his own or her own? There were female shepherds. The sheep that didn't belong to that shepherd would raise their head slightly and either go back to eating or grazing. And if they continue to call, they would actually get agitated and terrified and run away. This is the delicate relational state of sheep with a false shepherd. In fact, verse 5 says, look at it with me, sheep of another shepherd will get agitated and run away. Jesus knows this. This is what happens to sheep when a wrong or false shepherd is calling out to them. How do they do this? Well, this is how they do this. And by the way, parents, this is a parenting principle, even in vitro, when your babies are within the wombs of your mother. I don't know about you, but I spoke to my children in outside the belly of their mom all the time. I dared not sing to them because they would get riled up, and Denise would actually literally say, stop, they're kicking. That hurts. That's just how bad I sing. But you speak to them. And this is what shepherds would do. They would speak constantly to their flocks. Listen, get the intimacy, the relationship. They would name each sheep. They would have a distinctive call for each sheep. A lot of the times, shepherds played a flute, and they had a different note for each sheep. And when they played this note, the straying shepherd whose note belonged to it would bring it back when it was played. This is how relationally embedded sheep were to their flocks. Now you ready? This is not commonly understood about this passage. So let me give you some background. Let me give you a little bit of light on this. If this is another time I would write it in your margin. This is absolutely critical you understand this. The picture is Jesus at the door of the sheepfold calling to flocks within 
and those who belong to him heed his call, and he leads them out into green pastures. What is the sheepfold? The sheepfold is Judaism. What is Judaism? It's simply the religion of the Jewish people. He's calling people out of Judaism, which believed that if you keep the law, you are declared righteous. Who believed that if you're a son or a daughter of Abraham, you have inherent righteousness. Who believed that if you listen to and obey the rabbis and the Pharisees' teaching, you will gain eternal life. This is the Judaism that Jesus is calling sheep out of. You need to understand that. See, the sheep are all Israel. His own, it says. He's calling his own. They are the ones that the Father has given to him from Israel. Look at John chapter 17. Can you flip over forward seven chapters? Look at verse 12 with me. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, he says of the disciples, which you have given me. The Father gives the Son these men. I have guarded them. This is shepherding language. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. That was Judas. This is all shepherding imagery. Now you're back to John 10. Let's try to get back there. I want you to see the relationship in verse 3. As he knows each of his sheep by name, personally, calls to each one, calling them out of a dead religion called Judaism into the green pastures of salvation. Now, you might right now be a little disappointed with that interpretation. You might have read this all your life or all of your Christian life as being Jesus speaking to you, Gentile brother and sister. But look at verse 16. I want to encourage you. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking now of the Gentiles. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. You see what Jesus is doing? He's bringing people out of the sheepfold of Judaism. He's later going to bring people out of the sheepfold of the world. Ephesians 2.15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace. This is one flock called the church. Made a believing Jew and believing Gentile who are bound together through the blood of Jesus. The door of both sheepfolds, Judaism, the world, is the place of relationship where the shepherd calls his own. And it moves us to our next symbol, number four. The door was a symbol of salvation. See, the audience really didn't know what Jesus meant. They get the shepherding lingo. They understood shepherding culture. Everybody did, but they didn't really understand his application. Look what he says. So he explained it clearly to them, verse 5. And we finally come to the I am statement. Truly, truly, verse 7, I think it is, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. There's the I am statement. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. I already told you, klepto, the other one, steal by violence. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
Now, I want you to see this, and I would, I would circle this. This, in, this really, really incenses people of the world. They hate this. I have had people yelling at me because of this. Circle this. I am the. I would circle the word the. Notice it doesn't say one of the. It doesn't say a door. It is exclusive. This is exclusive language. I am the door of the sheep. Now, let me go back to the sheepfold one more time. I mentioned that if a sheepfold was in a village, several shepherds hired a gatekeeper. But in a country sheepfold, now Jesus switches metaphors. Now listen to this. In a country sheepfold, one out in the country while the flocks were grazing in the pasture, they still had to create a sheepfold. They did it, remember, out of logs or brush or stones or a cave. Except in this case, now watch this, this is beautiful. Except in this case, the only way in or out of the sheepfold, the shepherd himself would lay down across the door to sleep. To protect his sheep so that they could not come out and stray away. And that nothing could come in that was a predator to kill him. Now he is speaking now of this sheepfold. I am the door of the sheep. He is laying across the entrance. No one comes in through him without going through him. No one comes out but through him. There's no way to the green pastures. What is that? That's symbolic of abundant, eternal life. No one can get to the green pastures but through him. And if anyone, look at verse 9, that means whether they've cleaned up their act or not, it doesn't matter. You could be right in the midst of the world, but if you come to the door, if you come to Jesus, the I am, the door of the sheep, then he will bring you into abundant life. He will bring you into green pastures. Enters by me, he will be saved. Now he's using that word very, very intentionally. Go, goes to Acts chapter 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Listen, if you're an atheist, we've had atheists come to church. If you're an atheist, you're probably believing there's no afterlife. You just simply cease to exist when you die. If you're part of the Baha'i, or used to be part of the Baha'i, then you know that you believe the soul journeys through heaven and hell until it is perfectly united with God. If you're part of Buddhism, then you know or you believe you're going to reach nirvana joined with God by mastering the eightfold path. You've got to master it if you want to get to nirvana. If you're part of Confucianism, which is sort of dying out, thankfully, the afterlife is unknowable. So all effort is in living the right he way here in this life. If you're part of Islam, then salvation comes when your good deeds outweigh your bad ones, and you literally, metaphorically, tip the scales in your favor. But even if your scale tips to the positive in your favor, it still is going to depend on the will of Allah. Of Allah. You never really do know if you're going to be saved. But in Christianity... This is alone belonging to Christianity. There is no other religion that teaches this. You cannot earn your salvation. You simply have to walk through the door by faith. It is about faith. Because the Son of God earned your salvation. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that you deserve the wrath of God? Do you believe that your sins have separated you from God and that there's nothing you can do to fix and remedy your situation? And you come to Christ in humility and abject defeat and you say, Jesus, I can't save me, but I know you can. You died on the cross, which has saved me. And he says, yes. And he brings you out the door of the world out the door of Judaism, and he brings you into green pastures of abundant eternal life. There's one way out, and it's through Christ alone. And he brings both Jew and Gentile who follow him into another sheepfold. It's called the kingdom of God, which finds its expression in the church. Listen, if you've come to Jesus and you've put your faith in him, you've put your hope in him, then he's brought you out of that sheepfold of futility. He's brought you into green pastures of abundant life. And he's brought you into the kingdom of God. You are saved forever. That's the language of John 10. No one's going to take you out of this hand and you now find yourself in the expression of the kingdom of god called the church to worship to serve to bring the good news to more people now let me tell you this before we go quickly and briefly to the final point the bible mentions the book of life eight times that's pretty bad when you got to look at your fingers isn't it they don't hire smart pastors. At least they didn't used to. Now they do with Austin and Matthew. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> Eight times the book of life in the Bible. Two of them specifically are called the Lamb's book of life. The names were written into that book, quote, before the foundations of the world, simply meaning before God created the earth, he had that book of life and the names of all he would bring out of the sheepfolds in it. That's an amazing thought. John 10, verse 4. Let's look at it. When he has brought out all his own, all that the Father had given to him, all who are written into the Lamb's book of life, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Listen, this is my comfort for you. I'm going to give you two ways to be comforted by this. One, if you have come to Jesus in faith, your name is in the book of life because you can't come if your name wasn't. And the reason that you bring the good news of the gospel to every single person that you possibly can and the reason that you pray for every person you can is because you don't know if their names are written in the book of life. And our jobs are not to know that information. Our jobs are to declare and preach and live the good news for them and pray that God would bring them out of that sheepfold. All of God's sheep are written into this book before the world was created in every one of them will respond to the call of Jesus Christ. They will know his voice and they will respond to the good news of the gospel. And it moves us to the fifth and final symbol of door. The symbol, the door was a symbol of care. It was a symbol of care. And I want you to see this in verse 9. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly now the shepherd had tools of the trade 
a lot of them actually next week i cannot wait to tell you about a lot of them incredibly fascinating next week is i am the shepherd one of them i'm going to tell you about it today it's his rod he used the rod to defend against threats but the rod was also used in another way. In fact, Ezekiel brings out the other way that a shepherd used the rod. In fact, God is using it in this way in a metaphorical meaning to his people, Israel, his sheep. He says, I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. This is precisely what's happening in John 10. See, shepherds, here's what they would do with the rod. Get this in your mind because it's really beautiful it really evokes the care of the shepherd they would use the rod to part the fleece on the body of a sheep at the market to check the skin for wounds and infections listen it was super easy in selling a sheep to cut the fleece in such a way as to hide the defects on the body of the sheep that's where that came about pull the wool over the eyes you've heard that the rod parted the fleece so that you could inspect the skin. They did that because of the, the hair, the wool was full of an oil called lanolin. They used the rod rather than their fingers to do this. The rod was a tool for examination as well as accountability. Well, how was it used for accountability? Well, I haven't told you yet that Israel's sheep were really not usually for food. They were for the wool industry. These were sheep you had for a long time. You kept them in your flocks for years and years, and you became closely familiar with them. And as a shepherd would bring his sheep in from the pasture and into the sheepfold, here's what he would do with the rod. He would stop each sheep at the door with the rod, examine it for wounds, and then use the rod to count his sheep like we count with our fingers. If one of them was missing, he would go on the journey to find it. See, the rod was used for care. The rod was used for accountability. The rod was an indispensable tool in the shepherd's belt because that's where it was hung. And he did the same thing as he led them out of a sheepfold. He would count them to make sure he had all of his sheep. This was his livelihood. He knew everyone by name. And they were family to him. And I want you to remember again, once more, that village sheepfolds were communal. So each was very vigilant to his own sheep. It was a counting tool for his sheep. And it was at the door that this was done. On the way into the sheepfold and on the way out. See, the door became acquainted with the care of the sheep. And I believe we can see this same image of care that Jesus has for us as every day he leads us into the world. Listen, we're right now in the sheepfold of worshiping in the church, but we're about to leave here in a few minutes, and we're going back out into the world. And God cares about us. Jesus cares about each and every one of us. He's going to go with us, but we don't, we're not going to enjoy safe pasture in the world. You should get it here. Listen, this is why nothing bothers me more in a church than when Christian bites a Christian or fights a Christian or slanders or gossips. That is maddening to me. This is a sheepfold. This is safe pasture for us. You're going out into a hostile world. Here you should be protected. Amen? 
And there are dangers all around us. Look what he says again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Despite the dangers, Jesus will say in chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's the power of Jesus, our shepherd. And the place that he cares for us is at the door of of the sheepfold into the world and back out the door was a symbol of protection of identification of relationship salvation and care and next week we're going to look at jesus who is not only the door but the shepherd himself and i cannot wait to show you all of the beauty that goes into that statement in the meantime let me encourage you, you leave here today, you're going back out into a hostile environment. Jesus knows, and he is counting you on your way out the door, and he's going to count you back in, and he will take care of you. And if you start to stray, he will leave the 99, he will come find you, and he will bring you back into the fold. That's Jesus. That's our shepherd. Let's pray.